Welcome to Ana Conversations with Myanmar. If you'd like to add your voice to the conversation here at Ana, please reach out to us through any of our social media platforms or you can email us directly. This conversation features Chiwei, a painter and artist who is currently in exile in Europe. Born and raised in Myanmar, Chiwei's artistic impulse found an outlet after a sexual harassment encounter on the streets of Myanmar at the age of 18. Her work considers the many ways in which society controls and scrutinizes women more than men, the ways that women resist this, and how this culture is evolving. Her paintings, which she sees as part of this evolution, have won more than 30 national and international exhibitions in London, Luxembourg, Hong Kong, and Cambria. When the coup happened in Myanmar in February 2021, Chu Wei took to the streets to protest, and a number of protest artworks and creative initiatives placed her front and centre of the resistance. But a visit from soldiers to her home was a moment of awakening in which Chu Wei realised that the military can do anything to her and no one can stop them. This realisation led her to making the agonising decision to leave the country. She has, however, continued to irk the military with viral protest works in Europe, resulting in threats to the life of her family back in Myanmar. Here she talks about fulfilling her dream to live as an artist, then losing it all when the coup happened, her decision to flee to Europe, and the pain and guilt of leaving her country and her family, and her determination in continuing to resist the military with her most recent artwork in Zurich, Switzerland. Let's start the conversation. Hi, uh, Chiu Wei. <laughs> uh, it's really lovely to meet you. And uh, thanks for coming to speak to us on our podcast. Um, it'd be great if you could just introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners so they can get a sense of who you are. Hello, everyone. My name is Chiu Wei and I'm from Myanmar and I'm a painter. Since I finished my high school, I always try to live as an artist. So... Since that time, I always trying to paint and create art. Um, Chiwei, you you studied in in uh, Myanmar and you were living there up until the coup. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what your life was just before the coup and then the impact it had on you? I was born and raised in Myanmar, and all my education are from the Myanmar University and from the Myanmar government school. I never have the the education outside Myanmar till now. So before the coup, most of my inspirations are about the society and the culture and the people, how they communicate each other, how the relationship between them and also the way they live and the way they think. They just really give me the inspirations. And when I was 18, to me and my younger sister, we have the Sashwa insult, uh, harassment on the street. And this moment, give me the inspiration to look up the situation and the life of women in Myanmar. And starting from that moment, I started a series of Burmese women to describe the unequal and unsafety situation of the women in Myanmar. And also the society train the women, the way they raise and the way they teach the women is to be shy and to be quiet. Even though it's such a harassment, such a insult and a Cut or, you know, this kind of unsafety happened to the women. We were taught to keep, to keep silent and to neglect it like it doesn't exist, but actually it's really exist. It's in our daily life. 
and no one talked about it. So my artwork gives the messages. Actually, I paint in an alternative way, a strong and powerful woman, and also to wake up the women in Myanmar, start to speak up and start to tell about it, what their feelings, what their sufferings, what is happening to them. So only when they start to speak it, we can hit it and then we can take the action. So that is the hour that I created before the military coup. And how, how was that received in Myanmar? I'm curious because when you mention about, you know, things like sexual harassment, assault, even when we live there, you know, many of our, our friends who are Burmese would be nervous about taking a bus because of these very reasons, you know, even though taxis were expensive, there was always a fear I never experienced it as, as a Western woman, um, but I had heard stories. So were people receptive to your art or, or was it very shocking for people to see you doing this kind of art? When I started that series, it was around 2014. So the country just the beginning of the open at Agam after close off for quite a long time. And also still the society is still conservative and not really open-minded. and some senior artists, uh, especially a May artist, they couldn't accept the way I described this, the way I described the open position of the women. Sometimes they open the legs, sometimes the topless, but it's not describing the beauty of the body of the women. It's like a, a beautiful new painting. It's like more telling like a, a strong person, telling like a, a strong way and, and asking the question about the culture and society. So, the first exhibition uh, was quite interesting. Some artists, they like the concept behind and also they like the painting. Some artists in the Myanmar art world, some artists, they can accept the, the message and they don't like painting. But some are, they like the painting and they cannot accept the concept behind it. And I found a lot of uh, Burmese women and a lot of women who came and visit to my exhibition they came closer to me and they whisper like ah oh, i'm glad that you made that exhibition and did it exactly what was we are feeling we have a similar experience like that but if we already had that so a lot of young girls they were happy to see this kind of painting so i'm glad with that and also some women mostly elder generation of us uh, they couldn't accept because uh, there are some paintings that I describe about the, the culture and it's really delicately you know, twisted the religion and the tradition. So for example, like the, they really accept that women are a second level and they deserve this, the way they live. And then also the clothes of the women, especially the lounge and skirt. We, we cannot wash together with the man clothes in the washing machine. And after we wash it, all we have to to be a lower line or hide on the backyard and hide somewhere so even the clothes doesn't have the right place to hang in Myanmar so the first exhibition I used the women's fabric and I paint a strong women portrait on top of this and I asked the audience the questions about the culture and society so I still remember there was a one lady she was a journalist and she made the interview about that exhibition and after she listening a few answers from me and we started to argue in the middle of the interview but she couldn't accept it because she said yeah this is us 
of course it's gonna be we're different man for this we are that yeah it's really interesting this is also the point to wake up the argument to wake up the question to the audience and i'm i'm glad about it so it sounds like you had kind of carved a career for yourself as an artist in myanmar that you were managing to exhibit your work and people were discussing it even if they were arguing with you about it but when the coup happened um, how did that change things for you i tried so 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 hard to be an artist in myanmar because i was a young girl and not completely at all from the art society none of my parents my uncle no connection from the the art background and I'm from the small town and everyone including my family they couldn't accept when I want to be a full-time artist that uh, in our tradition they believe that if you live as the artist your whole life gonna end as poor and unsuccessful doesn't even have a place to live or eat so this is um, a cliche that we all believe it so for that I asked my parents to give me two or three years without working as the company or a real a proper job and give me this um, this uh, two or three years to try to be an artist. If I cannot make it, I will work. And I promise them for that, I try so hard. And I think um, I made it a little place that for me to stand in Myanmar as an artist and I have a gallery. I make the exhibition at least one or two times a year. Sometimes I have an international exhibitions. And at the end, I really made it to live as an artist. And I was even planning to move to the bigger city, to Yangon. This is where all the art market and the gallery are exit. So I was planning to move there. And, you know, with the dreams and with the a girl who's our energy gonna move to a city and when I was looking for the apartment the coup was happened so when the coup was happened and I was quite active all the time I always use art to tell my voice and also to help the other people to tell what is the deep inside the voice of what they want to say Every time are included, every time is creation, non-violence, peaceful, it's always created with art. So for being active during that time, I had to exile the country. So when I had to exile it, everything that I tried so hard to live as an artist, including my family and my friends, everything I had to leave behind. It's really sad and also difficult for me and when I started a new life outside Myanmar I have to start from zero. <laughs> How long after the coup did you did you leave or did you feel you had to leave? Did you feel uh, that you were in danger or were you worried for your safety? During the revolution I I participated in a lot of ways. I provide a hundred or for a poster for the protester on the street. And also at the same time, I created the art movement called Right for Right. And I asked people to write what they want to change from the wrong thing to write. And I create the artwork with this. And also I did some speeches in the crowd 
showing this artwork and showing the voices of the people and also giving the perspective of the artists during the revolution. And I also provide several disobedient people selling the art and making the auctions of the small affordable painting to support these people. And yeah, at some point, one night, nine or ten groups of military people. Actually, at this time, they were wearing a policeman uniform, but they are holding the gun in their hands and they knock the door and they ask the questions in front of my door. And lucky that they didn't enter my apartment. Otherwise, they could have seen all the political painting that I created. And I don't think I will be talking to you right now. Maybe I will be in the jail. But uh, since that night, I realized that before I didn't want to leave the country, I just wanted to be inside and I just want to be keep doing with the art what I can participate during the revolution. But at this moment, really made me scared and afraid and to realize if they want to do anything to me, no one, literally no one can stop them. They can do whatever to me. And also I started to talk with the friends and the people and also the young groups where I was creating the art and a political hour. So they all suggest me they're going to be less and less things that I can do inside the country. And if I have a chance, I should start to think about to leave the country and they're going to be a more thing that I can do outside the country and doing for the people who cannot go out to Myanmar. So and this uh, suggestion really convinced me to leave the country. And then, yes, and after that, it's really, really a short time after they arrived at my apartment, maybe about a week, and I arrived here with the Jason luggage. I'm just thinking in terms of female repression and the coup, and they were hanging up longies and hanging up female garments because... They knew that the military wouldn't pass through those zones. I'm just kind of making the connection in my head. Is that kind of traditional view to do with how Myanmar women should be quiet and not speak up? Is that tied in with this traditional military kind of way to live life? Or do you think it's more religious based? Do you think the two are connected or what's your opinion on that? Because uh, military, they were leading our country for quite a long, long time ago, from our earlier generations, and all of them are man leading, and they they also use art and censorship and also film and music. Every part when they are ruling the country, they put messages how great they are, and also you know to use art to the messages like a propaganda messages. So at some point, I think they use a lot of art, but twisted with the religion. In the Myanmar history, you can see a lot that they use the religion and also they twisted with the art and also in the culture and society to believe that it is a real religion. Myanmar is a Buddhist country and sometimes they create a kind of imaginary messages that the Buddha inset or in the book that have never written that never said that they make people to think is it sometimes it's really twisted a really delicate way and 
even the people we cannot even think that is the religion or that is the tradition or that is just someone creative. But deep inside us, for so long we kept it, and for so many years、uh, we believed it. So we couldn't see who created these messages, but we believe it. So this is the one of the thing that women, lonely and scared, can give the bad love to the man and. If they go under this, or if you watch together, or if you hang on the same level, and another message as in the pagoda in Myanmar, you can see a lot of、uh, no women allow signboard, and a lot of the earlier generation and the women they believe that women are already the second level, and our glory, you know, our spirit of being the women is already less than a man. So you know. For example, if you're doing a lot of good thing in this life and next life, you will be a man. But if you are not good enough, you're gonna be a woman. So it is、uh, something that the Buddha didn't said. There was no record about it, but it's really twisted with the culture and religions. And、uh, everyone's really believe that. If you ask, maybe ninety eight percent of the house in Myanmar, they believe this, or maybe ninety nine. This one person is who's graduated outside Myanmar and、uh, graduated from abroad. Maybe so. During the revolution, I don't know who started. It's really a beautiful and it's really a creative way that people use women lonely, this long skirt, as the front line to give more time for them. You know, as the barrier. And I think it's really work. And when you Google it, when you look at the photo, maybe you will feel a little bit awkward. Yeah, at the front line of the revolution, these clothes are. What, what are they doing? You know, but、uh, for us, you know, we know the culture and so you know the background. So, and it give also a really give time to give more time during the the front line because military they don't work under them. They really believe that it will bring their. Then a bad love to them, so they have to take it down first. They have to cut the line. They have to remove the clothes first.、Uh, have to step it, or maybe they have to put it on the floor. So it gives some more time during the revolution. When you're talking about leaving, and I, I imagine, like as you say, like you've done all of your university in Myanmar, you've spent your life there, and then now to be suddenly in another country alone、uh, with your family back in Myanmar. How has that adjustment been? I mean, obviously, there's a sense of immediate safety, but then there's a, a constant worry for for everyone back home. I'm sure. The first week when I arrive here, all I can feel is the guilty of、uh, leaving the country. And at this time, I drive to the protest in in Europe, and I really I was crying when I saw the people that demonstrating in Europe and. These people, they could have a chance, and they have a chance to express their voice. And the same way, they're protesting peacefully with no weapon, but they know that they're not risking their life. But back in Myanmar, the same, no weapons, no violence, just telling the voice, just protest. But you can give the life you're risking your life. So just that feeling gave me. Uh, gave me cry at this time. Still, when I see a groups of people protesting on the street, I try not to think about it. And this is really expressing itself the image of these two groups of people and、um, the messages behind how 
the software, how that we are lacking of, you know, how to different world. And for me, the first three to four months, I was living completely as a loser. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't make a anything at all just i was feeling sad guilty crying for the people and at the end i asked myself yes what's next what could you do yes you're feeling sad true and just i cannot even help myself and i cannot help back to the people and the main reason why i left the country is maybe i can't do something more than being inside in Myanmar and being outside so i tell myself okay i have to Start working, and at this time, and no job, no connection, no friends. So, what can I do? So, I'm telling myself, okay, what I can do is a uh, art, and that is what I left. So, whether I have a job or not, if someone is asking me to do the to create a job or not, I kept creating art, and、um, I make to get the attention about Myanmar as possible. So, I am as an individually still. I went out in the street, in the the crowded neighborhood,、uh, with a lot of young people, with a lot of family. You know, they are a different neighborhood, so I went there alone. I demonstrate there alone, and I make a kind of a performance to give the attention about the Myanmar. I spread the letter and poems in every way that I can create it to tell about Myanmar and to give the messages what is happening right there. And、uh, since I started to decide to work it. And also, when I started to think that I will also keep working, also for me, and also for the people who are inside, and also for my friends, and I could start moving in the life, and this really saved me to keep going on and to move on. And some hours got、uh, attention, and also at this time, the people inside in Myanmar they couldn't have a lot of chance to tell their feelings and to tell what is happening, and even in the social media, so. At some point, I make a one artwork. Actually, it's a performance artwork, and it was spreading really well everywhere. And、um, after already a quite a several months that I already left Myanmar just because of this artwork, my parents, who are still inside Myanmar, they had to leave their house because of the artwork that I kept creating outside the Myanmar. So at this time, you know, I had to cry again. <laughs> And I was feeling stressed and、um, and worried for my parents because、uh, they cannot touch me, they cannot do anything. But the, still, that I'm carrying the burden of the Myanmar because of the the families and the friends. So since that time, I started to be more and more careful. And now they are all safe, and I still kept doing the artwork and even bigger and bigger. The last work that I created. For Myanmar, it's、uh, even a, a 90 meter long, and it's gonna be in Europe several months, and it's、uh, representing a hundreds of people of Myanmar people with their voices and with their letter, with their sketches. So they may be small, but、uh, I think I will keep them in. It's amazing that you keep going, and I, I think a lot of people will relate to to what you're saying who have left that guilt and that. Inability to do anything in those first few weeks, even months, and some people maybe still haven't come out of that that phase、um, of realizing that they have something out here, a freedom that the people inside don't have, and just finding the way to push through. But one of the things you've mentioned there is this really 
cruel, cruel thing the military are doing, which is targeting the families of those who are, you know, resisting the coup, even outside of the country. And we've seen an increase, particularly in Europe. I know friends of mine who've recently had the military go to their family homes back in Myanmar. And as they say, like they're prepared to take the risks for themselves, but to take that for your family and to know you're putting them in that immediate danger is, is a different, a different thing for them. And they're struggling with that, you know, many of them. And uh, some have stepped back for fear of their family. Others feel they cannot stop, you know, and, but they just live in that constant fear of what will happen to their families. And, you know, we see the military confiscating people's homes, you know, kicking elderly people out onto the streets. Uh, It's really, really cruel. So I, I can imagine that's difficult for you, for sure. But you're determined to keep going. Yeah. Have you always been strong-willed? Like, I get the sense that you probably were from a young age. Yes, I I think right now I'm really feeling what I'm doing is not the, the wrong things. And what I'm doing is not disrupting the life of the other people. And I'm not using the power to put the other people's life in danger. And I'm not killing the people, raping the people, and not taking the tear of the other people. So for this reason, I know what I'm doing is uh, right. At the same time, I'm not doing a wrong things or a mistake. So at the same time, I don't want to feel fear and I don't want to hide. And on the other side, and also I have to think for the families and also the friends who are still there. So now I'm finding the balance to give the messages of the peoples in Myanmar. You're not doing the wrong thing. You're not doing a mistake. So why do you need to afraid of and you don't need to hide your identity? You don't need to scare for doing what is the right thing and doing what you believe in. And also the other hand, I have to take care of the people who doesn't have a uh, freedoms as me. So right now I'm uh, finding this uh, balance between the two. It's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. And it is a balance, isn't it? Because, you know, you are, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people will know you and know your work. Um, but obviously the more people know you, the more risks uh, to the people still in the country. So it's, it's a delicate one and it's hard to step back, but yeah, I think you're finding a nice balance, you know, um, and as you say, giving other people voice in your work is is really great. Because uh, fear is very important things in Myanmar, also for Myanmar people, because we live under the fear, under the military for so many years, for many decades. And what we had is a very short term of uh, a democracy, what we had less than 10 years. So. If you're acting like you're fearing and you have to hide a lot and the other people, they can sense you have a fear and already our earlier generation, they lived under this fear for so long. So they are so used to, to go back to live under this fear. It's a lot of people, the majority of people, if they decide to live with the fear, Maybe this is the easier way for them. It's not a lot of risk, but they will never ever have a a freedom right now and also for their next generation. So it's also important to show that we are fearless. 
I mean, I don't think anything articulates it better than the way that you're fighting back is powerful art and the the lengths that the military need to go to to show their power is targeting families and children and airstrikes on villages. It just shows how in the wrong they are. It, it can't be more articulated than the fact that you've just used such a powerful, peaceful way of demonstrating what they're doing compared to all the atrocities that they're they're committing so it's uh, yeah absolutely in awe of what you're doing it's, it's just absolutely amazing mind-blowing that you can then go and establish yourself in another country and still manage to create this platform that can show the world what's happening in Myanmar absolutely amazing thank you so much and you're super talented, so I'm not surprised that you had admitted it as an artist when you when you set out to do it. And I'm not surprised that you've gone to a total new country and you're you're doing it again. You have a special gift. I mean, it, your your work is stunning. And I think maybe you you know that you 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 know you you had a talent because you you, you wanted those couple of years to really try and make it as an artist, and you succeeded. And it's not easy, you know. You have a, a special gift. Thank you. <laughs> I don't have a special gift, but um, the background that I came from was uh, also the peoples of Myanmar. And also when we talk about Myanmar, it's not only about killing and revolution. And the people in Myanmar, since I was born there, when I look at the people, they were surrounded by the difficulties, surrounded by a lot of problems, but they still can smile and they still can happy. I don't know why. If you've been in Myanmar, the smile of the people and then the soul of the people is the unique thing. And I think this still with me and still in my blood and also the culture, the language, the literature, the history, they are really interesting. And when I came from this background and when I have a chance to look up the world and also to show this uh, culture and this background, even a little bit in my painting, in my artwork, it became a a unique thing to give the, a new taste to the world, people who doesn't know about Myanmar or the people who doesn't even know where Myanmar exists because we are the least well-known country in Southeast Asia, I think. So I, I will try to give a taste to the people to taste a little bit of Myanmar. Yeah, it's a beautiful way of putting it. And it's something we constantly say, Ruth and I, is that, that that's the smile and the kindness that we experience in uh, when we live there and you're right given the hardships that they have endured for so long to have that beautiful kind souls and those smiling faces it's a special place um, and I hope that you know we can go back one day I hope this military is no longer in power um, I know they are trying their best to reopen for tourists and I hope that anyone who really cares for Myanmar will not go there and give money to the military at this time. I understand some people will be trying to get back to see families, and I see that as a very different thing and, and a different kind of risk they're taking, but I don't think anyone should be visiting Myanmar as long as the military have control of the country. So I would just get that into this episode. Don't go there on holidays, please. <laughs> You'll be in my burn book. <laughs> Yeah. I think the military, they want to build the image about Myanmar in the, in the world. Like they are back to normal. It's like peace again, like under control. I think that is the image that they want to build. Actually, what is happening in Myanmar is not even every day, even getting worse and worse. And what's your hope, Chue? Like what, what are you hoping in the next 
six months to a year for Myanmar? A six month gonna be short because just personally for me, I think this fight gonna be long because both sides have um incomplete side. Both sides have a fifty percent, fifty percent. For example, the military, they have a weapons and they have the power and they are controlling a lot of ministry and department, but they don't have a people. And the people side, we don't have a power, we don't have a weapons, but we have a number. So it's also a 50%. So one side gonna win when they have a 100%, but for the moment it's a 50-50 and they're trying to fight each other. So I think this revolution may long. And if the people side, if we can fit the gap that we need, the target and the winning is gonna be a quicker. And also, we all know that Myanmar is a poor country, and the whole revolution is based on the donations, the donation from all of these a small number of people and people who living outside Myanmar. They sending back the monies to Myanmar, and also even people who already inside the Myanmar, they using with this small amount of money to keep running this revolution. So, this is also important. The resistance of the people. And it is also connected to the economy and also about their, how they're going to eat and how they're going to live. And um, this resistance is also connected to this. So I hope the peoples in Myanmar, the majority of people, they will keep their resistance and keep helping each other. And um, we will go closer to the target and we will win one day. I'm going back to what you said earlier in terms of protesting. The fact that you can go out in some countries and not fear for your life. And yet in Myanmar, you've got people that go out because they realize that their voice is important, but they know that that could be fatal for them. And they're still willing to do it. And they're still willing to go out and do it. And we've seen so many people sacrifice their lives and their existences to join PDFs or to go and just have a voice in a protest. And I don't think there's anything wakes you up more than that as a westerner who knows they can go and bitch and moan about their government and feel completely safe and people are so wanting change in Myanmar that they are willing to well not willing but they're in a situation where they have to put their lives on the line just to have a voice but it it just is really sobering Uh, we take it for granted I guess to be able to have a say in politics uh, and, and and democratic countries do take it for granted and to see what's happening in Myanmar is just it's a very sobering thing I guess yeah and the whole revolutions the a lot of people who were pushing this revolutions are mostly a young people around 20 and teenager so they are the people who sacrifice the most and with their physically and with a lot of their energies the earlier generation and people who already have the family and older than that age, they have the, a lot of responsibility to take care the family, the kids. So what they can do is to support this push. So I have to say, when you look back to the list of the people who sacrificed and uh, people who died and also people who holding the weapons and uh, fighting for the civilian to protect from the military, they are mostly the young people. Do you two have any message for the people still in Myanmar right now? If you could give a message to them, what would you say? 
um, I will say that sometimes the people inside Myanmar, sometimes they were waiting for kind of um, a, a fallen hero from somewhere. The help from outside Myanmar one day it will arrive and it will help and it will solve the problem. Some of them, I think, um, have a hope like um, someone gonna come and help from the side of the people. So it's gonna be hard to to listen that, but the truth is we have only us and we have to fight ourselves and we have to keep the resistance ourselves. We might have a help from the outside, but it's gonna be helpful, but not the big changes during the revolutions until like a bit involvement included, but it's gonna be a difficult, this kind of a big help and a guilt involvement outside the country and um and also we are surrounded by the the bad neighborhood so we have only us to to keep fighting to keep resisting i know the resistance gonna be tough but when we have a win it's gonna be a really independence winning and this winning is gonna be um, priceless so be brave that's really great Chiwei. it's really really great I don't know if there's anything else, Ruth, you wanted to ask or Chiwe you wanted to say that we haven't covered. And also for the people outside Myanmar and also people who know about Myanmar, who want to help Myanmar, for sure the people inside Myanmar, they will keep fighting to remove the dictatorships and military. Without your help, uh, they will keep fighting anyway. But with your help, even though it's a little bit small, even though it's a small help, it's going to be uh, very helpful and quicker to reach to the winning. Yeah, I think that's, and I, I just agree, like donating however small, and it is all of the everyday people. It's not rich, rich people donating. It's people who have a small bit of money giving a little bit, uh, even those in country outside, every little bit of that is adding up to help Myanmar and help people free themselves from a brutal military regime. So there's so many places to donate. We're always pointing out different places. You can support PDFs who are fighting on the front lines. You can support CDM workers who are refusing to go back to work to try to bring the military to its knees and the country to its knees uh, economically. And then there's obviously IDPs and refugees pouring through the borders everywhere, villages being burnt down, airstrikes, and they desperately need food, shelter, all of these basic things. Uh, COVID is a pandemic that's still everywhere in the world right now as well. So, so many ways that people need support. So really encourage people to find places to donate and however small, one euro, two euro, all of it adds up just to find time to give a little bit to the people. Um, it would help. Me, I'm still sending back money to Myanmar and sometimes I send back to my old teacher and also some of the friends who also need help in their life. Uh, for example, 10 euro, I sent back a 10 euro to someone and sometimes it can even cover for one month of accommodations for one person. So the living price in Myanmar is still cheap in some area, but the, also the economic situation is really dumb. So the price of the fuel, the price of the foods are going up. So yeah, even though 10 euro and 20 euro is uh, still helpful, or quite helpful for the people. So even me, I still do my team every month. Thank you.
thank you for listening to RNR Podcast. You can follow us on all major social media platforms. It's at RNR Podcast, spelled A H N A H. Please like, follow, and subscribe. Myanmar remains in our hearts and thoughts. We have not forgotten you. Let's keep the conversation going.